Our Bible reading for today is from the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 2. If you were here last week, Mark started on a, on a series from the book of Nehemiah. So last week we went through the whole of Nehemiah 1, and today we are on Nehemiah 2. If you were not here last week, or if you haven't listened to last week's service, I'd encourage you to. It's a great, great service, sermon, rather. Thank you. So Nehemiah 2. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I say to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried is in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they'll provide safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so he'll give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the only one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal, well, and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down and its gates had been destroyed by fire. 
Then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool. And there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet, I had not said anything to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I say to them, you see, the trouble we are in, Jerusalem, lies in ruins and its gates have been burnt with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also say to them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat and the Horonite and Tobiah, the Ammonite officials, and Geshem, the Arab, heard about this, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this that you're doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the king of heaven will give us success. We are his servants. We will start rebuilding, but as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem, any claim or historic right to it. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thanks, Bev. Good morning. And to those who are here and to those who are still online, let me just sort myself out here. And uh, just thank you. Thank you for, for being here, for joining us, um, for being part of our worship. Thank you to the worship team for, for leading us in, in our worship. Uh, and Bev for, for just bringing that vibrancy of faith and prayer and, and God's word. And we're going to, if you have the Bible, your Bible's open, keep Nehemiah 2 open because we're going to dive into that in a, in a moment. But I want to start by asking you, what is the most courageous thing you have ever done? Okay, what's the courageous thing you've ever done? Now, I, I was reflecting over things that I've done, and, and one thing some of you remember is, is a number of years ago, in, in trying to raise money to, to build our present facility, I, I did a tandem parachute jump. And I've got a picture of midair, hopefully that will be on the screen in a second, uh, of this tandem parachute jump. Now, now, is that a courageous act? See, some people say yes, some people say, eh, maybe, and, and, okay, how about if I, it was a tandem, so I was strapped to a, a strapping guy called Dino, big guy. Um, how about if it was a solo parachute jump? You know, if I just strapped a parachute jump and jumped out of an airplane, would that be more courageous or just stupid? See, I mean, I'm, I'm going, that's just stupid, isn't it? Um, but, but when it comes to courage, it's an interesting thing because it's like a, there's a scale. There's some things that are just, you know, you're going, I would never do. And other things, because you're thinking that's just stupid. And there's other things that you're going, well, it's not as dramatic as doing something like that, but it still is courageous. Still, it still requires me to step out of something that I'm comfortable in, like the inside of an airplane, and to do something which is a bit crazy that steps out, out from what you're familiar with, out of your normal, out, out of, of just your comfort. 
And how about this? Have you experienced this? You've been online and you're going to order, say, flights. You're going to do flights somewhere abroad. And before, you know, you've double checked, you've treble checked, you've checked the day, the airport, everything like that. And even before you say the book now, you have this nervous feeling inside of you. Is that just me or do you have that as well? And is it a courageous act to go, book them? Is that courage? Because if you mess it up, it's a big mess up, isn't it? And, and, okay, and you may go, well, maybe that's courage or not. But whenever you move house, start a new job, whenever you step out of something that you're very familiar with into something that's unknown, it takes courage. And courage is what we're going to be looking at uh, this morning because I think Nehemiah 2 is all about courage. As Bev said um, just a few moments ago, last week we kicked off a series looking at the book of Nehemiah. And if you're familiar with the book of Nehemiah, you'll know that he um, is the one who leads the, 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 the Jewish nation to, to rebuild the city walls. But more than just a building project, it's to help uh, reestablish the people to be back into relationship with God. You see, because the Jewish nation, they were in ultimate lockdown. See, their lockdown wasn't you just can't do shops or you, you, you had to stay in your bubble. Their lockdown was the complete city was wiped out. Everything wasn't closed. It was destroyed. The city was destroyed. The walls torn down. The temple taken out. All of their normal patterns of, of life, of religion, of day-to-day stuff all got stopped. And it wasn't just you're not allowed to go to work. As, as many of them were sent into exile a thousand miles away in Babylon. So they actually found all their normalities were totally gone. And Nehemiah is a point of lifting of lockdown, where they can step into a new reality, where they can become people who are in that relationship with God in the city that was given by God, that they become a nation that reflects him and and, and love him and are a, a light to all those around. See, this is what the book of Nehemiah is walking through and helps us with. We have been in a slightly less lockdown situation than the Jewish nation we're in. Um, but what we found is during lockdown, lots of things have had to be restricted. We, we, our normal practices have had to stop. And it's exciting to know that lockdown is beginning to lift. And, and we have this little roadmap that means it's going to be lifting more and more. And as we see the, the future opening up a little bit, it's a really good time for us to say, how do we start rebuilding to be a people who know God and follow God. So all those things that were stopped, do we just say, let's all start them up again, or do we rebuild something different? And so we're walking through this book of, of Nehemiah, looking on this rebuilding project, rebuilding our walk with God, our community walk with God as a church, how we impact our, our wider world. And and Nehemiah does some really helpful things. Last week, we looked at Nehemiah 1. He shows us where to start. And the start is to ask the question. Ask, how are we really doing? And some things, actually, we're doing pretty good. And other things, if we're honest, not so well. Personally, uh, um, communally, as a a church. And we need to do some, you know, it needs some attention. And that's what Nehemiah shows us, is that you ask the question, then you invite God in. Because it's not just, let's get a planning meeting and sort it all out. But we need to say, this is a a God thing. God wants us to be a community that know him, individuals who know him and who build our lives on him. And, And that starting point of asking the question, inviting God in, and then counting ourselves in and saying, God, I I need to be part of what you want to do. 
That's Nehemiah 1, but then it also falls over into Nehemiah 2. That counting ourselves in then moves it to this point of Nehemiah 2, which says courage is needed. It is we need to apply courage to, to step into what God wants to do. Now, now, there's going to be four points of courage. It's not what time I've got. I've got 20 minutes to do this. Okay, so four points of courage. The first one is this. It is, is, it's courage to face fears and trust God. Okay, we need to have courage to face our fears and trust God. See, for whenever we step out of our comfort zones, of what we know, even if we're not comfortable for, for, for where we are, if we're going to step into something new, it's going to require courage. But what we'll also do is we'll encounter fear. Because fear is a natural thing that, that gets stirred up into us. Whenever we're doing something new, we, we think, well, what if it doesn't work? Or what if I haven't got the right answer? Or what if I don't have the right resources? Or what if it goes wrong? And, and these are really good questions to ask. They're important questions to ask. In fact, if you don't ask those questions, there's probably something a bit weird with you. When I jumped out of that airplane, I, I, I wanted to go, I'm going to make sure that the parachute will work. You know, actually, let's go one step back. Have you got a parachute on? That's a really good question, don't you think? And, and, and those questions are really normal questions to ask. And we need to, whatever we're stepping into, this rebuilding project that God's calling us to be part of, we need to be asking those questions. And, and fear tends to stir those questions, and that's normal and good. The problem is, is that we can find that, that place of fear of asking the what ifs, getting, getting so focused on the what, what ifs, is that we then get stuck there. Is that all we do is we just go around what if, what if, what if, and we go round and round in circles. We let our fear just hold us back and we never step out. We never step out in faith. Now, Nehemiah had fear. There was fear. You see in verse 2, if you have a Bible, check it out. He says, I was very much afraid. Not just a little bit afraid, very deep. I was terrified. This is a scary thing. It's interesting, between chapter 1, when he's praying, God, you want to do something and I want to be part of it, and chapter 2, when he actually steps out and does something, it is four months. It's a four-month period. Now, I'm wondering... Why did it take so long? We're not told why. It may be because the king wasn't around. It may be other things. I'm not sure. But I'm pretty sure that fear was part of what was happening in Nehemiah. He knew that God had called him. He knew that God had stirred in his heart to be part of this rebuilding of Jerusalem and this nation. But he also knew that to step out in obedience, to step out in saying yes to God, is he had to do something that was terrifying. We read that he was sad in the presence of the king. It was the first time he was sad in the presence of the king. Now, I'm not sure what you are. If, you, know, you might be a person who walks around being miserable all the time. That may be you. Uh, maybe you have to be happy all the time. But in the royal courts, if you were in the presence of the king, you had to look like you were happy. Because when you, if you look like you were sad, how that could be interpreted is you are disagreeing or disapproving of the king. And, and that's a dangerous thing to do. If, you know, if the king's seeing, why, you know, why are you upset with me? That couldn't just lose you your job. That could lose you your life. It was a really serious thing. So when it says that Nehemiah said, the first time I looked sad in the presence of the king, that was a, a, a scary thing to do. And, and that's, you see, even when the king showed favor and said, hey, mate, you're, okay, this is my, my interpretation. Hey, nay, I've never seen you so miserable. What's up, mate? You probably said it in more royal terms than that. 
Notice Nehemiah, it's there when he says, I was very much afraid. Because he, he wanted sympathy from the king, but he hadn't given his big ask. His big ask, we know, was saying, um, my, my, the place I'm from is broken down. The place of my ancestors is broken down and it needs to be rebuilt. And he was saying, could you help with that? Now, this was a scary thing because back in Ezra 4, um, a few years earlier, we, we read that Ezra and the gang, there was a gang about a dozen years earlier, went to start rebuilding the city and they got stopped in Ezra 4 because they're rebuilding the walls and the nations around were going, no, you're rebelling against the king. Artaxerxes came back, the king there, he heard that they're rebuilding Jerusalem, they're going to rebel against you, and Artaxerxes says, nope, that's going to stop, and he made a decree, stop, do not rebuild that city. So he made a royal decree, you find in Ezra 4. And here Nehemiah is saying, is, do you know that decree that you made to stop? I think it was wrong. Could you do a U-turn on it? Now, I, I know this is hard to get your head around, but a government doing a U-turn, can you get your head around that a little bit? Um, so, so now it's, you know, it's, it's, it's more like a roundabout than a U-turn, but now it's quite a normal thing. But therefore, a king to make a U-turn like that is a king to basically say, I got that wrong. So Nehemiah saying, um, king, do you know that decree you made a couple years ago? Can you just turn it around because I think it was wrong? So no wonder Nehemiah was afraid because that, that was a real life-threatening thing. It was a terrifying thing he did. When he had to, he, and, and Nehemiah he knew that God had anointed him and called him to do this. But he needed courage to face his fears of the what ifs and say, but God still called me and I'm going to do it. Now, here's a really important thing about what courage is. Courage is not, I trust God, I'm going to hope for the best. That is not, that is not courage. That is not courage. That's called stupidity. See, what courage. Remember, you've got to read Nehemiah 1 as well. Remember, what did he do? He prayed. He went into God's presence. See, courage is rooted in God's presence, God's promises, and God's priorities. God's presence, God's promises, and God's priorities. See, when we link into those... That's when we go, okay, you've got the parachute on. I know you've survived it. We've done those right things, and God, I'm going to trust you. We need to face our fears and trust God if we want to see God's kingdom come. As we look to, to rebuild what God wants to do in us, in our relationship with him, in us as a community, as a church community, to reach our nation, to reach our world with the message of Jesus. It starts rooted in that relationship with God. It's from there that we find courage to face our fears and to step out. As lockdown lifts, it, we, we have this malaise of fear that has been sown into us for this past year. If you watched the, the funeral last yesterday uh, of the Duke of Edinburgh, you, you saw, it, that, I mean, it's, as, as many people have done funerals, is it's all socially distanced. Why? Because there's a fear. If I get too close, I may catch something or give you something. And, and there's sensible stuff, and that's a really sensible thing. We still need to follow that. But there's this fear of if I get too close to someone, I'm going to catch or give them something, that, uh, this coronavirus. And so we are, are cautious. 
How many of you, when you're walking along a, 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 a park or the beach or something like that, and there's just crowds of people, you are just nervous of crowds of people now? Because we're told this isn't a safe place. But this fear can, can permeate all that we do as we look forward and saying, my relationship with God, our relationship as a community to reach further with the truth of Jesus, we can find that fear is just going to stop us. We won't do that just in case. We won't, do, we won't step out. I, I, I won't share with my neighbor about Jesus just in case they don't listen to me, just in case they say stand off. I, I won't care for the community just in case it's not accepted. I, I won't serve just in case just in case. And what we can find ourselves is, is fear can be the thing that determines our path ahead of us, as opposed to allowing God's presence, his promise, and his priorities to be the thing that leads us. The first thing we see in Nehemiah 2 is courage to face the fear. It's not to saying it's not scary. It's saying it is scary, but because of my presence, of, because of spending time in the presence of God, his promises and his priorities, because of that, I can step forward. It doesn't mean it's easy because you see in, this, in, in chapter 2 that he set up this bullet prayer when, when um, the king said, what do you want? And he said, so I prayed and then I spoke. So he's still putting this arrow prayer as in God, I know we just spent the last four months together talking about this, but I'm still terrified. God, give me strength as I step out. When I did that parachute, the, 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 there's a video of it. And, and as they're flying out, the cameraman kept saying, are you nervous yet? Are you nervous yet? And, and actually, I was okay. And, and then we got onto the edge of the plane and we're sort of dangling out the airplane. And he's going, how are you feeling now? And I'm going, okay, they, that focus, you know, two and a half mile drop focuses your mind. And, and I still trusted nothing had changed. That arrow prayer, those prayers that we make when we're going to face some challenges... If we want to rebuild what God wants to rebuild, it's spending time with God, rooting ourselves in God, doing arrow prayers, but saying, do you know what? I will not be run by fear. I want to be run by you, God. The second point of courage is very much linked to that. And we see this in Nehemiah. Is it's courage to plan. Courage to make plans. Now, now this, you may go, what, what, how does that fit in? Because I think sometimes we think trusting God is just about, well, whatever God says, I'll do. And, and that, that is good. But is making plans a lack of faith? Because I think some people can, can come to that conclusion. You know, because Jesus says, you know, why, you know, don't worry about tomorrow. Because you know, uh, tomorrow has enough worries about itself. You know, worry about today. So, so don't think forward. In James, it talks about, you know, the plans of man are just, you know, God just almost laughs at them. So does it mean we shouldn't plan? And I, I don't think so. I think it takes courage to plan. Did you notice that, that when, when Artaxerxes showed favor to Nehemiah and, and said, okay, well, what do you want from us? How long will it take? Nehemiah didn't go, oh, um, I wasn't expecting you to say yes. Um, let me get back to you. Is he, he had an answer. He knew. He knew how long it's going to take, it is, how long he was going to take to be away. He also said, can I also have a letter of protection for those other authorities around? Can I have a letter to give wood? Because I know we'll need wood in the new building. He had made plans to move forward. As lockdown lifts, the truth is you're making plans. How many are planning a holiday? How many are planning on meeting up with family and friends? 
Um, some of it is still, I can't wait, but some things you're putting it in the diary going on that date, we're going to do a family big get together. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We are making plans. And I believe that God actually wants us to make plans as well. Nehemiah, he, he, he understood that plans were something of God. He had these answers for Artaxerxes. We see, we jump a little bit further in verse 11. When he gets to Jerusalem, a thousand miles away, probably a couple months traveling, he spends three days resting and then he, he rides around the city checking out what the city walls are like because he's going, what, do my plans need to change? Is, what is the real state of the city? What, what really needs to be done? These are, he's still planning. Planning is a godly thing. Planning is actually a step of faith. When we built this building, we, we did a heck of a lot of praying, raising a lot of money, and we prayed a lot. But I tell you, we planned like mad. I was in so many boring planning meetings. Paul Warner's here. Paul, we were in so many boring planning meetings, weren't we? And, and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I mean, you can't say they're boring because it really discourages everyone around the table. But to be honest, you know, air handling units are just not st stimulating. But, but you needed to talk about those. We plan lots of different things. And when we want to step forward into what God wants to do, we have a responsibility to plan. We as a church are planning as lockdown lifts. We're planning how can we meet together as a community again? How can we, we engage with online? Because do you know what? Online is going to be a forever thing. We're going to be not just meeting it in, physical, in a physical way, but we'll be meeting in, online. And so how do we engage with our congregation online as well as our congregation here in the auditorium? We need to work out how do we equip people, better equip people to be, to be light and salt, to be a place of joy and refuge in our community, in our workplaces. How do we better equip you? How do we better equip you? We as a church need to think that. How do we interact and care for kids and for teenagers and for seniors? How do we do that better? And we're making plans. And I'm going to let you a little secret. Some of our plans will need to change. Because we're going to make some plans and then we're going to look around and go, that's not quite working and we need to change it. A phrase I used to use a lot, uh, if you've been with our church for a while, is we build with scaffolding. It is, we need to put scaffolding. All of our plans are scaffolding so that God may build something on the inside. He may build the building. And the scaffolding means that if we look at Sundays or we look at midweeks, and we're going to try to do this, and if it doesn't work, well, we'll just take the scaffolding down and put it up another way. But we need to plan. I wonder, what plans are you putting in place as lockdown lifts? Not just to meet your neighbors and holidays and stuff, but to, to know God better, to deepen your relationship with him. What plans are you putting in place that you might connect more with God's people? What plans are you putting in place that you may reach your neighbors with the love of Jesus? What plans are you putting in places when you pop the bubble to increase and be a, a hospitable and include more people? We need courage to do that. That's not presumption. Actually, this is what faith does. It has courage to faith our, face our fear and trust God and say, God, I'm going to do it. And I want to make some plans. The third area of courage is we need courage to build together. We need courage to make this a together thing. 
If you have Nehemiah opened, um, ha- have a look. At the beginning of Nehemiah, so Nehemiah um, chapter 1, the first couple of verses, verse 2, he asks, what is the state of the remnant? What is the state of the people and the city? How are they doing? And then you skip to chapter 2, verse 17. And he said, let us rebuild the city. He moves from a them to an us. You know, the powerful message of Jesus Christ, when he died and rose again, when he made it possible for us to know God personally, is he also calls us into relationship with one another, into the ultimate family bubble of the family of God. God created us to be a together thing. It's so easy in, in our, even the, the, well, norm, in, in our culture, but also in COVID, to think just about me, just about my bubble and what suits me, where God is saying, no, I, I think about us. I include us. There's a real power in us. I remember a couple of years ago, uh, I'm sure I shared this, when I was digging a pond, I, was ma- I decided it'd be a great idea to make a pond and I started digging and about half an hour into that, I thought I'm an idiot. This is hard work. So I, re- I called someone else in, another member of our church called Gareth, who's now in Australia. But Gareth came and together Gareth and I built this pond. And in fact, he even called it his pond. It's our pond. It was in our, my house, my back garden, but he called our. And I'm going, I'm so pleased that he, he owned it as well because that meant he had to do a lot of the work, which was brilliant. Um, but together we did it. This rebuilding project of, of enriching our personal relationship with God, but also enriching us as a community that we may be a light and joy and hope to our community, it's an us thing. We need to really resist saying the church should do this. Someone should do that. You should do that. And change our language to us language. How can we better connect with God? How can we help our young people? How can we help those who are vulnerable? That doesn't mean you have to do absolutely everything. But it says it's a we thing. It takes courage to do that because it says I'm part of the solution. And that's what Nehemiah did. The last thing I just want to say about courage is it takes courage. Nehemiah showed courage to to keep God first. Nehemiah starts with inviting God in right at the beginning. There's a problem. God, you're magnificent. You're a mighty God. Come in, come in, come in. When he's in the presence of Artaxerxes and that fear is right before his face, he says, God, will you give me success? Will you help me to bring God in? But then as the story unfolds, as we all know, as we get into normal life, is things get complicated. We're told in, in, in verse 10 of chapter 2, we're introduced to a chap called Sanballat and another one called, called uh, Tobiah. These are two regional guys who are going to cause major, major headaches. We're going to see that as, as the chapters unfold. These guys are nightmare guys. They cause so much hassle. In fact, we are introduced to them before, before Nehemiah even gets to Jerusalem, we're introduced to these geezers. And, and they, become, they are real massive headaches. And you'll see at the end of chapter 2 is they started rebuilding the wall and immediately they come in and discourage and, and saying, you know, you're rebelling and, and just cause a major headache. Just as an aside, as we rebuild our relationship with God to something deeper and richer as a community, we will face some opposition. And, and let me tell you, let me name them. Should we name the opposition? The, a real massive one is a lack of resources. 
We're going to say, I don't have time. I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough people. I don't have enough money. That, that's going to happen. That's going to happen. Personally, it's going to happen to us corporately. It will happen. And, and so, so let's not be shocked when it comes, but let's be ready for it. There's going to be other challenges as well, and that, that's, that's normal. But when they come, see what Nehemiah did. Verse 20, he said, yeah, but our God will bring success. Verse 17, he said, let's rebuild the walls. And he said, look what God has already done. You see, guys, it's not about a building. It's about Jesus. It's about God. As we as a church move in this lockdown and we lift and we're thinking, well, what does it mean to be church? What does it mean to all these things? It's not about an organization. It's about keeping God first. It's about Jesus. That takes courage because there are going to be times when there are so many other voices around and needs around and problems around and, and fears around and indecision around to say, Let, let's just bring the focus. Let's, let's say it's about Jesus. As we move forward and rebuild, as lockdown lifts and, and we, we can re-engage in a new and deeper way, I want to pray that you may have the courage to face those fears and say, but I will trust God. Not in a blind bit of hope, but in one that's based in God's promises, priorities, and presence. I pray that you'll have that courage to say, let's think about how do we do this well? You'll have courage to say, and how do we do this together? It's a together thing. And courage to say, do you know what? It starts with God, it ends with God, and God's in the middle. Because if God doesn't build the house, we're doing all this in vain. I don't want to do this in vain. I want to see God's kingdom come. I know you do as well. I know you do as well. So let's be courageous. Apply courage. And let's build together and see more of God. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for Nehemiah's honesty that, that I was very much afraid. So, so often we want to hide our fear. We say, I'm just confident in God. It's all going to be fine. And God, we, you are good. As we sang earlier, is you are good. You are good. But God, I also know that I'm a failure and I don't have enough. And I'm, I've got so many what ifs. But I thank you that we're not building on me. We're not building on each person. We're building on you. I pray that we may have that courage to build on you, that you are our cornerstone, you are our foundation, you are the headstone, you, it's all about you, Jesus. And I pray that we may have our eyes fixed on you. We may seek more of your presence and that we will step out in courage because of you and we'll build on you. Come and fill us, come and help us. And we commit ourselves again to you. Amen.